0: foundation is built on solid rock. Yeshua, Yeshua. The rock of our salvation on Solace Radio.
1: As I shared, I'm going to be sharing, continuing on the book of Revelation. This is this is one of the, in this chapter, chapter 4, is a lot of people struggle and there's a lot of explanations of the creatures and the people that many times they're just not correct. And um, so hopefully I can later rest some things for you or maybe open up even other questions. Because there's a lot of controversy in these verses, uh, theologically, as well as practically and spiritually. Avina Malkino, our father and king, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, Lord, would only be of you. Lord, that whatever is of the flesh, you would strike it. Whatever is of the ruach that I've missed, that you would bring it forth. And I pray this humbly in Yeshua's name. Amen. After all things, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice like a trumpet which I heard speaking with me before me said, Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after these things. Instantly I was in the Ruach, the Spirit, and there before me in heaven stood a throne, and on the throne someone was sitting. Of course, this is John's experience. So what is the great controversy? Well, first of all, the Scripture is used to support the rapture, non-existent thing in the sense of how it is explained and of course I've touched about some of that in this study and I will touch about it in many more times. So some people might say, well if you don't believe if you don't think there's a rapture, why is that? I think it's a reasonable question to ask a fair question. The rapture populace. those people that promote it claim this is a reference to the saints being taken up prior to the tribulation. That John is giving a prophecy here, but there but there is no tenable which means there is no valid position for this. These verses and following are about the vision that Yeshua is sharing, and it is just a vision. These verses and following are about the vision that Yeshua is sharing. This is a visionary calling up, not a prophetic word of a future event. It's just a vision. Sometimes we have to see things just as visions. And Of course, I've said on occasions, particularly in the study of the book of Revelation, that Revelation is a literal book. It is a literal book to me, and it should be to you, which can, but within its context contains many visions and symbolism. And we have to be able to balance those things within the text. We can't just weigh things the way we want. We need to weigh them the way that they're given so that we don't overemphasize or look for something that is beyond what is going to happen. Uh, or, in this case, create a doctrine about something that is not valid. And then we end up following false, a false prophet or a false vision. We have to be very careful that there's a lot of visions in this world. Uh, just go on the internet, right? Just go on the internet and you will easily find lots of different visions of what people believe they should or should not be, do, not be doing. So getting back to the book of Revelation being a literal book, but a literal book that contains visions and symbolism. What I mean by literal book is that we need to literally take these things seriously and we need to understand what they are so that we can understand what the Lord is speaking to us and what he expects. So, but it's also true that with the limited knowledge that we have, sometimes it is difficult to know the difference, which is how the Lord planned it. He wants us to walk in faith. He didn't give us a how-to book in every detail. He didn't do that in anything. Don't be. One of the things that you can test things with when you're looking at other things, don't be tempted by somebody says they know it all. It's a problem already right there. Because nobody knows it all except the Lord. In fact, most of us see with dim eyes. We all see with dim eyes. Yes, the Lord will give us revelation. He will quicken our spirits. He will edify us. But anybody that is teaching from a position of authority that they know it all, run. Right. But that doesn't, that truth, that fact does not impact the, the vision or events as being the word of Yeshua, right, or the vision of Yeshua, nor how they will play out. That's where faith comes in. All these things are given to us. We don't have knowledge of all of these things and how they play out. But the Word of Yeshua, the Word of God, the Word of Yeshua does not return what? Void. What does that mean? It means it all be fulfilled. right? It, it all has weight to it. It all is important. And none of it will return void, um, or, nor will He twist it. We have a problem with that sometimes. So, an example of will not return void. The Lord has given us His Word, His Torah... And if we reject Torah or lay it down and say it's no longer valid, it has now become void. That's a problem. John John was reporting what he saw. In the whole book of Revelation, he's reporting what he saw and what he heard. He's a reporter. Lots of times we need to be a reporter. The Holy Spirit desires that we be a reporter of what he's speaking to us or what he shows us, that we would be a reporter. John's not special in that sense. The problem is a lot of times we don't listen to the Holy Spirit, so we can't report anything. But if we listen to our flesh, then we report what the flesh says and not what the Lord says. So there's always, for me, there has to be the practical application of the walk. There has to be a practical application of all the words, even the visions. There has to be a practical application of understanding so that we can understand what the Lord is showing us and that we can also walk it out or be faithful to it how can you be faithful to what the vision is telling us if, we, if somebody uh, distorts what the vision is or just says don't worry about it? It's allegorical. That's a problem, isn't it? Because we're really all too easy to go, hey, somebody told me I don't have to worry about this stuff. I'm not worrying about it. Well, who are we listening to? Are we listening to the Holy Spirit? Are we listening to man? You know, we were singing, we were worshiping the song that, you know, I will not bow down to the gods of man, yet we really like listening to the gods of man, don't we? We're all all susceptible. That's not a condemnation, but it is. It's a a statement of be aware. So he was. Yochanan John was reporting what he saw. The symbolism and the symbolism that God was showing him, which is unfamiliar to us, mostly usually, is was familiar to him. The Lord wasn't showing things to Yochanan that he didn't understand. They're not familiar to us because most of us haven't been trained in Torah, so these things are unfamiliar to us but they were familiar to Him since they are found in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, which would make it real for Him and it would be understood. Is everybody kind of following me here? When we don't have information, things are going to look foreign to us and we're going to just dismiss them. Yeshua wasn't showing things to Yochanan to confuse Him. He was showing things to clarify to Him what was going to happen. We, need to, we may not understand it. Agree, but He did. And so our obligation is to understand how Yohanan, how John understood it, and the only way we can know that is from the Tanakh. Because that's, that was John's worldview. All he knew was Torah. So if Yeshua is revealing things to him about what's coming and how it's going to happen or what the, what the premise of it was, he has to speak with Yohanan with things and images that would be familiar to him. Everybody with me? It's just the major problem is they're not familiar to us. And what happens is when things aren't familiar to us, Somebody redefines it. And in Christianity, it's been redefined. Many of the things and the images have been redefined because they don't understand what they are. So you get different definitions, different applications. So hopefully I can clarify some of that. So in the, in the, in the, in the vision that, you know, that John is given, is this really how heaven appears? You know, some people teach, oh, we should really look at this because this is how heaven appears. Is that true? Well, first of all, I don't think we can actually answer that. The important truth is that Yeshua knows all the details of heaven, and He is showing us things that are re, that are all about the supernatural and how the supernatural is going to affect the natural. We may not get the dynamics of it; we may, we're never going to know it all because if we did, then there's no faith, right? So, but He is He's showing so, Yochanan, and, and of course, the reality is He's not just showing Yochanan, is He? Why? Yochanan wrote a book; it's called Revelation. So he was revealing it to Yochanan, but he's also revealing it to us. 2,000 years ago, Yochanan said, holy smokes, you're not going to believe what I saw. And everybody knew what he was talking about. Today we go, what the heck is he talking about? This stuff is just weird. Well, some of it's a little weird to me. You know, when, when we showed the video, those things, they're way out there, aren't they? For us. I, you know, when I was in college, I drank a little. I think I thought, saw some of that stuff in college. But it had nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. It just had to do with Spirit, right? So anyway, we all sin and we all move on, right? Okay. You can't be transparent. What can you be, right? So our, our obligation, our, our, our desire should be that we want to focus on Yeshua, right? And, and And the walk, the walk that he is on and the walk that he works out for us, right? So I believe in heaven, right? Does everybody here believe in heaven? I hope you do because it's a promise know what heaven looks like. I know it's going to be good. The Lord, maybe He's there. It's going to be good. I don't have to know if I'm going to have gold streets or a condo or a Cadillac. I don't need to know that stuff. Probably not going to. In heaven, who needs a Cadillac? I'm going to be flying. i got wings or something. I don't know. But I believe heaven is more than any mortal can grasp. I don't worry about trying to define heaven. I can't. And the vision of John doesn't really help us that much in defining heaven. Does it doesn't. That's why we have so many are out there over hundreds, thousands a year is writing stuff telling you about heaven and they know no, absolutely nothing about it except the same stuff we know if we're willing to look at it and it's limited right Yohanan gives Yohanan, Yeshua gives Yohanan what he can handle and relate to the lord showed John a vision which he gives to, which he reveals to us it's what John could handle he could understand it and which means that we should be able to handle it too is everybody with me on that how many people have been told, oh, we don't do revelations so though that book's way out there and, you know, I can't understand it, I can't explain it, let's move on. That's not the purpose of revelation, to confuse us. It is to solidify our understanding of the end times that God has prepared for us and eternity as well. And it's there to encourage us, but it's not there to blow us away and just ignore it. Revelation chapter 4 verses 3 and 4. The ones sitting there gleamed like diamonds and rubies and a rainbow shining like emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothing and wearing gold crowns on their heads. Well, what does that mean? I mean, you can find lots of goofy stuff on, on the internet. Um, you know, somebody trying to explain what these things are. So, I actually took a quote from Dr. Daniel Jester who is a good friend of mine. He's the head of Tikkun Ministries International Ministry. He lives in Israel. I've known him for 22 years. He's one of the most knowledgeable people I know. Um, don't always agree with everything he says, but once in a while, there's something, and if I have something really hard going on, I will go to him and say, hey, what do you think? Pray about this for me. So, so related on those verses, so, I, what I rest is, so Dr. Jester says it best. Is this the way God gives the visionary experience for the best understanding? of realities that go beyond what can be literally put forth. Well, that sounds a little scholarly mumbo-jumbo, doesn't it? He's a scholar, right? All these scholar guys, they talk, and then everybody's going, yeah, and then you go, what did he say? I'm one of those people. I'm not a scholar guy. Sometimes they use words. I can't even spell the words. How do I know what they mean? So I'm going to say it again. Is this the way he's talking about Revelation chapter 4, verses 3 and 4? Is this the way God gives the visionary experience for the best understanding of realities that go beyond what can be literally put forth. Are there really creatures that look like the ones described as full of literal eyes? So he's posing a question. Four, six in front of the throne was what looked like a sea of glass, clean as crystal, and the center around the throne were four living beings covered with eyes in front and behind. Or, or, he proposes, or is this a symbol of the spiritual reality? That's a little scholarly too. But what it's saying is, this, it's, it's representing something real, but are they real creatures or is it representing a spiritual reality that, he, that we're supposed to understand? That's what he's saying here. So if we're all looking for these beasts to run around with all the eyes, I think where he's going with this is saying, eh, probably not. The vision is reality. This is his words. But exactly what kind of reality it might, be beyond the grasp, might be beyond the grasp of our limited human minds. This is a message from a conference that he gave in 2001 in Israel. And so what he's saying is that there's truth here, but really for us, it goes beyond the ability for us to comprehend exactly what it's doing. What, what, are these creatures real? It's not, and, and, and what he would also say, it's not important that the creatures are real. What's important is what they represent, right? So, so we need to keep the vision in context so we're going to keep the vision in context. John quite likely is not in his physical mortal body when he's seeing this, right? Because that's what it says in verse 2. Because in verse 2 it says he's what? In the Holy Spirit, right? So if John is in the Holy Spirit looking at these things and seeing these things, don't we have to be operating in the Holy Spirit to understand them? Not in the flesh. And that's our problem. We read things and we go, the first thing we go to usually is the flesh. So we need to be able to learn how to tap in better to the Holy Spirit, so that we can see things with spiritual eyes, and not in spiritual eyes, we don't have to be quite as alarmed by seeing, you know, creatures with six wings and eyes all over their bodies. I'm not sure what I would do at first. I might first go cool, and then I might get scared. Right? That's really, oh man. So part of what the Lord in in this vision He's showing John, what what's happening here is the veil, the veil between heaven and earth, are opened. Right. There's, there's a connection here between heaven and earth. This is the representation part of what's going on in the dream that the supernatural of heaven meets the natural of this earth and the veil is open, a ladder, so to speak, a conduit so that we, there's a connection here. These aren't the things that John is seeing aren't the normal things that a human being would see. Yeshua has opened a door to seeing things from a heavenly perspective. Not necessarily heavenly reality. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. For me, it makes it less confusing. I know you're confused. We're working on it. Okay. So we can have a perspective that Rob Shewell Paul shared with us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2-4. through He says, I know a man in union with the Messiah who 14 years ago was snatched up to the third heaven. There's many levels of heaven. I don't know if you know that. Whether he was in the body or outside the body... I don't know," right He says, "I don't know, but then he says, "God knows." So there's many things you, that, that, that the apostle, Paul, Rashul, didn't understand, but he's at peace with it. he says, "God knows. And we need to be like that too. We need the things of God are the things of God, and we leave them with him, trusting him in faithfulness for what, for what they are. Paul didn't have to work everything out. He's not trying to work everything out. He's saying, I don't know where He went it's in the third heaven. I haven't seen it. I've never been there. I'm good. See, there's no faith if we're not at peace with what God's doing. He's far above our understanding. We need, by faith, that we trust the Lord, that He knows what He's doing, and even the things that He shows us, the things that we do understand and the things that we don't, that we can be at peace with both of them. But what happens in our culture is, that we try to explain everything and we go to other texts and we go to other writers and we go to other interpretations. You know, that's what all these targums are and, and other different writings and, and all these mystery writings and things. Somebody else tri- trying to explain the unexplainable. And we get wrapped up in that. Don't, don't you think on a practical level that we got a lifetime to handle just with Torah versus everything else? I do. I came to that conclusion. I had to come the hard way because I was forced to study a lot of these other things and it took me many years, the Lord to figure out, you said, you know what? That doesn't help me understand Yeshua. It doesn't get me closer. In fact, it probably confuses things. God knows. Verse 4, He was snatched. God knows He was snatched into into Eden and heard things that cannot be put into words, things unlawful for a human being to utter. So in the end, does it matter if John was in or out. It's the experience and insight that matters. The Holy Spirit speaking to us about things that matters. Can we understand what Paul says? Can we understand what, what Moses says? Can we understand what Isaiah says? Can we understand those things in a way? Can we apply ourselves to those things that we can understand what the Lord is trying to speak to us? And I hopefully most of you have read any amount of Scripture at all, the Lord is very redundant in the things that He wants us to know, even with the prophets, redundant, redundant, redundant. Paul is very redundant in the epistles. He's dealing with different people with the same problems. I've always said, if the Lord says something more than twice, you should pay attention to it. I think you should pay attention to everything. Don't get me wrong. But clearly, in the flesh, everybody at some level, we want to know, we want to be able to define everything. We want to we be in control. The, the, the need for human knowledge has to do with us wanting to be in control and the Lord saying, I don't want you to be in control. I want you to be faithful and follow Me. He didn't show these things for John to be in control. He showed these things so John could be faithful and trust and believe and he could pass those things on that there are amazing things coming. Did, did John try and explain everything in the vision? No. He's given a narrative. In fact, John doesn't try to explain anything, does he? Paul, on the other hand, in, those, in, in many cases, he's trying to explain to you why you've gone the wrong way, or why we need to do it this way. John just, he's, he's the narrative. He's revealing what the Lord showed so that the Holy Spirit could speak with us through not just the, you can't read the Word of Revelation and understand what it is. You need to know all of Scripture so that we have a base, a foundation for understanding how the book of Revelation fits in with the rest of Scripture. Of 24 elders, thrones, rainbows. Not to mention 24 elders, right? Well, of course, right. They're there. So what do they symbolize? Are they real? So, I may disappoint some. uh, But what I've understood about these verses, right? First of all, the number 24 represents two sets of 12. Two sets of 12 in unity, right? So, it's not so much the number 24 that's important, but the number 12, which is a significant number, and it's two sets of 12, and they're in unity. Okay? Sometimes, because we don't follow what's important to the Lord, we focus on the wrong emphasis of the number. The number of 24 isn't important. The number 12 times 2 is, though. All right? So, there are what? There's 12. The 12 tribes of Israel, right? We all pretty much are comfortable with that, although the names change depending on where you read it. Don't they? I'm not going in that today. Okay. I have enough to deal with today. Alright. So, the other 12 is the original shlachim. The original apostles. The 24 thrones represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles being in unity. Go figure. Tanakh, New Covenant in unity. The heads, the tribes, the, the, head, the, the symbolic head of all of Israel, the chosen people, and the apostles, the 12 thomadi, the, the, uh, shlachim, are together in unity are represented in Revelation that there is unity between old and new, for lack of a better way of putting it. You know, I don't like the word old because nothing's old that way. But so, who's heard that taught? Why? Because nobody's focused on that. It's they're looking past what it, the simple, the simple, the what the parshat of the text, the simple meaning of the text, right? So, I believe that we can make a scriptural case for this and. It is found where? Well, we always should go to Scripture. Where do we find it? Well, in Revelation, of course. But I'm going to Revelation chapter twenty-one, verses ten through fourteen. It says, "He carried me off in the spirit to the top of a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God. It had the Shekinah, right? The Shekinah, the glory of God, so that its brilliance was like that of a priceless jewel, like a crystal clear." Diamond. I don't know if anybody has seen a priceless jewel, a crystal clear diamond. They are a miracle of God's creation. Um, in fact, there is no perfect diamond in the natural. Right? There's always some flaws in diamonds. But in this diamond, it's like a perfect crystal clear diamond. Verse 12. It has a great high wall with 12 gates. At the gates were 12 angels, and inscribed on the gates were the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates to the east, three gates to the north three gates to the south, and three gates to the west. Verse 14, the wall of the city was built on twelve foundation stones, and on these were the twelve names of the twelve emissaries of the Lamb. Well, the twelve emissaries of the land is not the tribes of Israel. It's the Shachim, the apostles. There's a balance here. The names of the tribes are written, but so are the names of the apostles in unity. They both hold up the new city. You're following me here. This is what the vision, this is what this part of the vision is talking about. I'm showing you practical application that we can support with Scripture of what it means. And this is what it meant to John. We should worry about what John thinks about this vision. He doesn't come away going, What the hell was that? I think it's appropriate. John didn't wander away going, Oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on. Colloquial terms are important sometimes because they give emphasis to. to what's really important that will speak to us. Not to mention, hell is in the Bible. I always get criticized. Every once in a while I use a word and they go, I give a 45-minute message and the one thing they remember is the one word that I used that they didn't think was appropriate. You're all laughing. (laughs) It's life, right? Um, So, is it possible that this number, that this number, the 24, the 12 plus 12, represents the old and the new order in union with another through the Messiah Yeshua. Not only is it possible, it's the truth. God is always in His Scriptures supporting the truth and the foundation of these Scriptures. And though it looks a little strange to us, we can actually take all the weird, what we perceive as weird, and we can make it really simple to what it is. I hope when we're done studying the book of Revelation, some of you will be totally even worse confused, but most of you I hope will have a better understanding of what's going on and how to read it and explain it to others. Remember, you can, you can go online. You can get it. You don't have to memorize it. All that stuff's all there for you. If you want to listen to the Scriptures, you can send me an email and I'll send you the Scriptures. So I believe, quite possibly, that it does. Isn't it ironic how the two are struggling in the flesh? In this world we live in, Hebrew old and new struggle and at odds with each other when in Revelation so showing us total unity. That there is no struggle between the the, the, the Tanakh and, and the twelve tribes and and between the uh Shalachim, the apostles, and 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 Yeshua and, and that order. There, there there's no controversy whatsoever. The only controversy comes from men, not from God. But we buy into the into the flesh thing because That's how the devil gets it. It's easy. We operate in the flesh. And here the Lord is saying operate in the Spirit. And John's operating in the Spirit. We can do the same thing. John is no better than us. The difference may be John is more attentive. And he's closer to the Tanakh. And he's seeing these things and going, i get it. I understand. It never ceases to amaze me how Scripture interprets Scripture. Right? We're using Scripture from everywhere. We use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Right? That's the only way we can validate what something actually means. So if this understanding is correct, I believe it represents us as well. So I'm going to read from Ephesians 2, 4-7. through 7. But God is so rich in mercy and love and loves us with such an intense love. Isn't that awesome? God loves us with intense love. Not just love. It's intense. It's passionate. It's dynamic. It's at the top of His list. That even when we, when we were dead... Right? We're dead when we're not in the Messiah. We're still operating in our flesh and we're actively sinning with no repentance. So that even when we were dead, before we came to know Him, because of our acts of disobedience, He brought us to life along with the Messiah. It is by grace that you have been delivered. Right? We hopefully you all know that. That is, God raised us up with the Messiah Yeshua and seated us with Him in heaven. Well, there's, there's a bit of why we need to understand the book of Revelation. Because the Lord not just gives us eternal life, but he seats us with him in heaven. And the revelation is about the relationship between heaven and earth. So we should have some understanding of the relationship. Not necessarily of what the details look like, but the relationship, right? That the Lord has done all this for the relationship. It is by grace you have been delivered, right? Right? This is God raised us with the Messiah, Yeshua, and seated us with Him in heaven. In order to exhibit in the ages to come, and this is part of the vision of John, the Lord is revealing what is to come in relationships, right? And in, and in His victories and the defeat of the enemy, so there's a relationship. In order to exhibit in the ages to come, how infinitely rich is His grace, how great is His kindness toward us, and who are united with the Messiah, Yeshua. In Messiah, in the Lord, we have authority to sit and rule the nations. So I believe that the crowns that are mentioned in verse 10 and 11 are the old and the new ruling in unity. Are you hearing me? We are part of that rule. Those crowns represent us. Everybody following me? That's a pretty important point. Now, not now now, he's not just talking about the 12 tribes rule and, and, and the Shlachim rule, but now he's talking about the crowns we wear in ruling the nations. It's prophetic, not pathetic, prophetic, right? Those crowns represent us, our rule. If, if they don't, then we, we could end up with some contradictions because the, the, the verses are saying that when we're in Messiah, we become in the order of Melchizedek. We are the holy priesthood, and we are rulers. We are kings. Melchizedek was a king, and he was a priest. We are priests, and we are kings. That's why we're out of the order of Melchizedek. It's why it's important, and it's why it's connected to this. hope you're following me. So now we're taking all these imageries, and now we're, we're boiling the imageries down to how, what the, how they work. What, what do they represent and and if they don't represent us, if, if all of the, the, the prophetic in the book of Revelation doesn't get it down to us, what value does it have to us? Right? We have to see our inclusion in God's plan. The role that we actively play. Not allegorically, but in reality. Verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before the one sitting on the throne who lives forever and ever and worship Him. They throw their crowns in front of the throne and say... You are worthy Adonai Eloheinu to have glory honor and power because you created all things. Yes because you because of you will they they were created and came into being. The crowns also appear to represent eternal fruit that will come, good fruit. What is the eternal good fruit? The body of Messiah. The body of Messiah. Bless you. Or whatever you're doing. God bless you. I thought you were sneezing. Never mind. Keep Barry's night didn't paint a I didn't know. It sounded like a sneeze. All right, I take it back then. Fine, you don't have to take it. So I have a picture up there somewhere, right, I think. next is Nick, What's the next slide, Shay? No. Okay, I didn't give you a picture? Okay. I don't remember what the picture was. Oh, well, I did. I sent a picture. It was wasn't it a separate picture. It was, it was a, a picture of the four living creatures. So what about the sea of glass, the seven lamps buried, and the four living creatures? So it was just a close-up of the four beings that you know, that we try and picture. So, is it not seven separate lamps? No. It is not. When you look at... how, do, how in, in the video we watched, how were the lamps represented? As a menorah. A menorah is in unity. It's not separate lamps. It's one lamp with seven lights representing the Shekinah, the, the Holy Spirit of God. But in unity, they could have chosen to do it a different way. The Lord... Created the light of the temple with the menorah. When the Lord is talking about the Holy Spirit and how it's represented, it's always represented with what? The menorah. In the natural. Seven branches. This is connected to Revelation. It's a direct connection to Revelation. It's not seven separate lamps, but the unity of seven singles, perfection of the Lord's Ruach, which is represented in the menorah. The seven, not the Chanukiah, the Chanukah menorah, but the menorah of the temple. Everybody with me? Okay. But what about the creatures? Right? We all would agree if you just kind of look at how people we vision, it's a bit out there. But maybe not as much as we think. So again, I'm going to talk about uh, Dr. Jester, who's also a rabbi. Um, From notes I have studying under him. I studied under Dr. Jester for several years, years ago. And so I have a great benefit of personal study with him. And and, and let me tell you, he confused me a lot in the early years. so he, he quotes, I quote him, the qualities of the living creatures around the throne represent the majesty and rule of the lion, the intelligence and quality of man in the image of God, the swiftness of the eagle, and the steadiness of the calf. There's something literal we're supposed to get from that imagery. I don't, I don't expect that we're going to see literally those animals. They are a representation of what God is showing us. The many eyes represent fullness of vision. When we're in Messiah and we're growing in Messiah, we're going to look like these creatures in the sense of the attributes that they have. For, for, for many to be the picture of the universa, universa, universi, universality. What happens when it's not my word and it's some big studied guy. Universality in rule, right? So he's talking about the, the four may be the picture together of all the rule of God in all of God's attributes, and indeed the attributes that He has presented to us through His image, through His Ruach, through His creation. Amen? We have Yeshua's DNA, do we not? Okay. So, the four beings, the number of directions, north, south, east, and west, the four beings represent the four corners of the earth. Everything. Nothing is left out. There it is. Here it is. It was that what I sent you. Did you find it? Yeah, it was a, sep- it was a separate email. Yeah. Um, so, so the picture so we, we can kind of see a picture of all these weird creatures, but, but it's allegorical in what they look like, but it's literal in what they represent and the qualities that they represent. In order to understand visions of these types, we always need to look at the Hebraic understanding, and of course, I'm going to bring it to a close. But without Hebraic understanding, you know people, there are people out there, I don't want to do the Hebraic thing. I don't want to do the Jewish thing. This is not about culture or tradition. This is about the understanding of the Scripture to the people God gave it to. And we do need to understand what that, what, how they understood it. Let me give it a little differently. We need to understand how Moses understood it. We need to understand how Yochanan understood it. We need to know how John understood it because if we don't understand how they understood it, we're never going to get it. We will never understand it. Not the way that we need to. So it's vitally important. I don't think we should be looking I don't think we should be looking for, for creatures or combinations that make no sense or out of place. I think just looking at those, it's out of place. But when we understand what they represent, they're not so much out of place. And when we get into other books like Isaiah and stuff, they use other strange creatures that actually represent very similarly these. So um, they will be these kinds of visions. They will be common to what the Lord has revealed right, in all of His Word. right? This is just part of what the Lord reveals in all of His Word. He isn't doing something different in the sense of changing the meaning of His Word that He gives in, in the Tanakh or what He gives in, in the apostolic writings, the, the New Covenant, or what He does particularly in the book of Revelation. It all goes together. It's not a disconnect. But a lot of the theologies out here, they have divided the meaning of the Word of God. They have confused everybody including me at times. I read less and less commentaries. Why? These commentaries are somebody's opinion. And I want to hear from the Holy Spirit. What happens, we tend to go, yeah, that's what it means. I really try, the longer I'm at this, I, Lord, show me, tell me. And you guys have the same ability. Believe me. right? So we're, we have, the Word is in common with what the Lord is revealing to us through all of His Word. So only one thing left to say. It be continued. Same bat time, same bat channel. Amen.
0: You're listening to Solace Radio on the Meander Radio Network. Thank you for listening to Solace Radio streaming on Podbean. If you have any comments, let us know. Your sharing, liking, and subscribing helps Solace Radio reach those in need. If you would like to support us, visit www.SolaceRadio.org. This is something I felt was a great deception many years ago when God kind of told me it was going to be a great deception. And he told me it was going to be a deception, kind of of deception. You know, the ultimate deception is not knowing Yeshua is Messiah, obviously. But for the body of believers, I'm not talking about that deception. The world's under a deception. I'm talking about the body of Messiah. That's what I'm concerned about. You know, of course I'm evangelizing my heart out, and I want as many to come to the fold as possible. I want none to perish. That's just my heart. But, but this concerns the body of Messiah, and it's a very strong uh, warning. Very strong warning. Um, I want to bring up the first slide. I know you've got like 22 slides. I'm probably only going to do about 10 today, so no, don't fret. The first slide is the Abrahamic covenant. You might wonder, why does Rabbi Greg talk about covenant so much? I want to give you um, um, a news flash that your God is a covenant making God. I know that might come as a shock sometimes to somebody. The average believer is like, what does that mean? What does that mean? A covenant, a Brit, is an everlasting alliance for your defense. Not his. There are five theocratic covenants in the Bible, five. You should know every... That's not a lot. That's not a lot. You have an Abrahamic covenant you have a mosaic covenant which is basically the giving of the law you have an israeli covenant at the end of deuteronomy where god promises to never forsake them and even though they'll go into the diaspora he'll come back and rescue them you have a davidic covenant that a king will always sit on the throne and then you have the new covenant which is what you are you are now under the new covenant for you not to know where the new covenant is in the old testament is horrific I, it's hard for me to believe that so many people have sat under teaching and have never been taught that God is a covenant maker. And Listen, do you, everybody remember promise keepers? Okay, that was a pretty good movement. But God is the ultimate promise keeper. But you can't keep a promise that you don't make. So in order to be a promise keeper, you've got to be a promise maker. These are his covenants. You must know all five, pal. You must know where they are. You must. So this is the first covenant. This is the most important covenant. Now you might say, that can't be. The new covenant has to be most important. And that's not true. This is the most important covenant. The new covenant is most essential. You can't keep a promise that you didn't make. So this is where he's making a promise. This is the turning point for the human kingdom. This is the grand turning point for the whole human kingdom it's in Genesis 12 1 through 3 and it says now Adonai said to Avram he didn't change his he, you know his name yet get yourself out of your country away from your kinsmen and away from your father's house and go to the land I will show you I will make of you a great nation I will bless you and I will make your name great And you are to be a blessing. Very important. Too many people are terminals for God's blessing and not channels. I'm going to go slow today because this is a very important message. I will bless those who bless you, but I will curse anyone. Anyone? It could be a believer. Anyone is anyone, right? I will curse anyone who curses you. And by you all the families of the earth will be blessed wow that's so power-packed just look at one verse within this within the three just one genesis 12 2 it says um do we have genesis 12 2 no okay should have had it i'll read it genesis twelve two says i will make of you a great nation i will bless you and I will make your name great, you ought to be a blessing. So within that one voice, verse, you have an individual blessing, you have a national blessing, and you have a universal blessing. I can't begin to tell you how many threes there are in the Bible. The first three verses of Genesis, God's number is three. That means divine perfection in Gematria. He speaks in threes all over. I did a study one time because I wanted to. There's so many threes. Here's here's a trio right here. Here's a three. We have an individual blessing, we have a national blessing, and we have a universal blessing. Very important for you to know this. Crucial. It's the foundation of your faith. Let's take a look at the individual blessing first. He says, I, that's God, will bless you, that's Abraham. And I will make your name great. He's talking about Abraham as an individual. It's just the individual Abraham now regarding Abraham he would be renowned as the father of many he would be the father of the Jewish people he's highly regarded in Judaism he'd be the father of the Arabic people he's highly regarded in Islam and he would be the spiritual father of many people a Christian right a Christian should be obedient to the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob I I remember, I think, I don't know, some vacation Bible school I brought the kids to. I brought the kids to every vacation Bible school in Macon. I was trying so hard to go, hi, I'm here. I went to every church in Macon for at least one service. Every one. What? Yes. Thank you. Um, Yes. And I was trying to play nice. Just didn't work. I just, I worship on Saturday, so I, I don't fit into the program. I'm, I'm on the outskirts. I, you know, I tell you all the time, the difference between me and most pastors, my systematic theology is out of the book of Romans. If you're a new covenant believer, your systematic theology should be out of the book of Romans. If you're a Christian pastor, your systematic theology should come out. You know what the difference between me and Pastor Joe is? There's some things I don't eat, he feels freedom to eat everything, and there's some feasts I observe, and there's some feasts he observes. That's not worth fighting over to me. Maybe to you it is, but it's not to me it's not so it just didn't work out for whatever reason but I remember at one of these vacation Bible schools hearing that song father Abraham had many sons had many sons had father Abraham I am one of them and so you and this is the part I didn't get so let's just please the Lord right on what <laughs> the, the song was making sense you know actually did that that's I was like I gotta get these kids out of here my kids would come home and say daddy they pray to jesus they pray to jesus i taught them you don't pray to jesus they asked jesus how to pray what did he say did he say pray to me he said our father you pray in his name and why is that why do you say at the end of a prayer in yeshua's name people just do that they don't even know why they do that do you realize that christians you're you're confirming and affirming that if it wasn't for yeshua i wouldn't be able to say our father it's huge it's huge so the individual blessing is there look at genesis thirteen two, it says avram become wealthy with much cattle silver and gold abraham was blessed with wealth and prosperity however according to your rabbi wealth isn't always measured in dollars or shekels that's not how i think of wealth i'm very wealthy i was very wealthy when bernadette and i didn't have two nickels to rub together i was filthy rich the best and most enduring wealth is knowledge of the one true god And having the riches of his grace and truth through yeshua the messiah that's wealth that's wealth to me then we'll move on to the national blessing it says i will make of you abraham a great nation okay there's 195 nations in the world today there's only one he's referring to only one obviously it came as a shock to abraham and sarah they were well advanced in age At this point, her womb was a tomb. It wasn't child-rearing womb. And they didn't have any children up to now. So it would have been enough if God would have said, I'm going to give you a son. He said, I'm going to give you a nation. Do you know how crazy that is? Do you know what crazy talk that is? Can you imagine when Abraham came back to Sarah? They were regular people, guys. They were regular people. They didn't walk around all pious. They weren't perfect. They were just like you and me. And when he said, hey, I just spoke to the Lord... A nation is going to be birthed through us. She said, are you out your mind? You've been nipping at the bottle, (laughs) Abe. So God promised that they would be parents of an entire nation. Now, just for the record, I just have to throw this in there. Forgive me for sidetracking just for a moment. But you all need to know something. The world needs to know this, but I don't expect the world to embrace it. In an effort to erase all things Jewish, The Romans changed the name of Judea. It was called Judea, but they called it, because they were Latin, Provincia Judea, the province of Judah. To erase everything Jewish, in 135 AD, during the second uprising, they changed the name from Provincia Judea to Provincia Palestina, after the lifelong enemy of the Jewish people, the Philistines. Therefore, the term Palestinian is a modern political fabrication which never had any international nor academic credibility before 1967. It's made up. There's no such thing as a Palestinian. And your Bibles, you, when you look at your maps, it says Palestine. There was never, it was called Canaan, and then when Israel went in, it was called Israel. And it's been called Israel ever since. I don't care what the Romans did there's no such thing as a Palestinian they're Arabic people and guess what they're cousins of the Jews Israel has become a nation in 13th century BC and the Jewish people have lived in the land for over 3,000 years and in the immortal words of the Lord our God he says though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken nor my covenant of peace be removed says the lord who has compassion on you the lord has an everlasting covenant with israel don't ever say he divorced israel now we get to we 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 know the nation was birthed right abraham had isaac the son of promise isaac had jacob and jacob had the 12 tribes and that's israel okay i don't know what's going on today with black jews puerto rican jews they're jews the name israel and hebrew and jewish are synonymous they're Jews I come from a long line of Jews it's another way for the enemy to infiltrate the body and break it up don't buy into silly genealogies we were warned about that right in Paul's letter to Timothy <laughs> now we get to the universal blessing and this is the most important you are to be a blessing Abraham you ought to be a blessing again too many people want a blessing But they don't want to pay it forward they constantly pray for god to bless them the reason why some people aren't blessed is because god knows they're going to be a terminal we're channels beth yeshua is a channel money comes in money goes out money comes in money goes out money comes in money goes out and it just keeps coming because we're a channel of blessing i've been here 20 years do you see me with a big staff i could have one i could have 30 people on a staff and then guess what no money would go out because it would pay salaries i choose not to do that i just get them to work harder <laughs> i just make them work so hard roxanne does the job of three people three people and i get volunteer help right i have 40 volunteers they got nothing to do anyway <laughs> you ought to be a blessing abraham and by you all the families of the earth all the nations when you hear the term goy or goyim it's not derogatory I don't know why you think it is it means of the nations the term Jew is not derogatory it means of the people of Israel the Hebrew people it's just to designate you know what I mean and there was a time I just gotta tell you in this country <laughs> oh, this might not be from you I know I'll apologize later um there was a time when people came here America nobody was native except for the Indian So no matter what your background is, no matter if you came off the Mayflower, you came off the Mayflower. But hear me, they didn't call themselves Irish-Americans or African-Americans. You're an American! Now you have a heritage. You might be Italian. You might be Greek. That's cool. But if you want to be a Greek-American, then just be a Greek and go back. It's a melting pot of people. You know I get this. I was raised in the projects. I don't have a racist bone in my body when I dated black girls they weren't black girls they were Adrian cherry you follow what I'm saying that's the way I was raised I was raised by an a hardcore Jewish mother do you know what we were taught when when we left Egypt God told the Jewish people you were once an alien in Egypt meaning you were an Egyptian so now when you go to Israel and people start coming don't treat anyone like an alien have you been to Israel lately there's people from all over the world there and they're not treated like aliens so, I wasn't raised to treat a person of a different race or creed or color like an alien. I just wasn't raised that way. You are marinated. You are marinated by your parents. And it's hard to shake. Christian, lay hands on yourself and ask the Lord to deliver you from prejudice. It's deplorable as a Christian. How could you not like a people group and when you look at yeshua guess what he doesn't fit into any group right they go israel's part of africa israel's part of europe israel its own thing well he was white he was black he was just yeshua what do you care what he was he's the savior of the world man are you going to start calling yourself a white believer a black believer yeah there's black there's black pastors that get together in town i was invited to their meeting. I walked in, they go, what are you doing here? I said, you tell me, I got an invite. (laughs) God brought me there on purpose. And he said, well, I guess you could stay. And I just got up. They said, would you like to say something? I said, I sure would. What's with the black pastor meeting? Should we have the Korean pastors meeting and everything else? Dude, don't get all white supremacist on me, though. You're in the same boat. Macon has the white church and Macon has the black church. Macon needs to have the church. (laughs) God just told me it's okay. I got a little huffy, but it's okay what I said. Because the truth is the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay, so we got this universal blessing. Okay, Israel would be a channel, the nation would be a channel of blessing to the entire world. Through the nation of Israel and the Jewish people, the spiritual world, not the world, the spiritual world would be blessed with three major gifts. One, monotheism. Let's hold off on that. Just go back. There you go. One is monotheism. Two is they would be entrusted with the oracles of God, meaning the Bible. They preserved the Bible for us. And most importantly, Messiah Yeshua, a.k.a. salvation to the world. Now let's look at these individually. Let's look at monotheism first. The Jewish people gave the world monotheism. It's irrefutable, man. I, I don't know what your attitude is. And i got to tell you something. The spirit of anti-Semitism runs rampant in the church. Some of you will raise with it. Some of you have it right now on you. That's pathetic. And demonic. Which is worse than pathetic. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six thirty-eight, 38. Rabbi, which of the mitzvot, that's commandment in Hebrew, in the Torah, first five books, the Pentateuch, is the most important? He told them, they're all important. He didn't say that. There's an order of importance. There's heavy things and light things. Remember? You who teach the least of these not to obey the least. There's most and least. There definitely are. You are to love I don't know, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is the greatest and most important mitzvah. So the Pharisees heard that Yeshua had silenced their antagonists, the Sadducees. They didn't get along. They had Different, believe it or not, different theologies. Not like that's prevalent today. And so they didn't like each other, but they decided to come for an interview. Well, he shut down the Sadducees. We're the Pharisees. We're the people of the land. We'll get them. So they came after him. Their spokesman was a lawyer, and they asked him to single out the greatest commandment. And he says the Shema, right? He didn't make anything new up. Deuteronomy 6 4 5. Look, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Here, Israel. Adonai our God, Adonai is one, and that's good information, but you are to love this one God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. The Shema not only encapsulates the idea of total devotion to God, but it attests to the fact that there is only one God, Elohim. That's the word they use. Now we see this from the very beginning. Look at Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth let's look up that word God we have to look it up in a Hebrew lexicon because the Old Testament is written in Hebrew Elohim the true God the true God now you need to know don't get too caught up but Elohim is plural it's plural the word here is plural grammatically speaking now my question is wait a minute rabbi you said that God is one why is it plural it's a great question because elohim is not plural in number it's plural in intensity the hebrews used it expressing power and majesty rather than number why good question the pagan world assigned a name to each of its powers in the universe when i go to southeast asia the the armpit of the world trust me I've been to shantytown all over the Caribbean and preached. I've been to shantytown in the United States. I've been to shantytown in all over Africa. There's no more shanty than Southeast Asia. No more. They have thousands and thousands of gods. Literally. Thousands. Some say 1.1 million. But you know what? I'll just go with thousands. And in the pagan world, what they do is they ascribe a name to each power in the universe. For instance... They had a god of a Nile, the Nile River. His name was Hopi. The god of the harvest in Egypt was known as Seth. The god of healing was known as Imhotep. The god of the sun was known as Ra. The Torah, on the other hand, views God as the god of all creation, as the one and only true god. So, to the god of the Nile, what does God do? He sends blood. To the god of the harvest, he sends locusts. To the god of healing, he sends boils. And to the God of the Sun he sends darkness. By doing this, God was announcing to the pagan world there ain't no God besides me. <laughs> two, the Jewish people gave us the Bible. Where do we read that? In the Old Testament, right? Nope. Nope. In the one letter that gives us our systematic new covenant theology. Romans three, one two, it says, Then what advantage has there? The Jew. What is the value of being circumcised? Because only Jews were circumcised, right? Brit Milah. Paul says, oh, much in every way! Exclamation point. In the first place, the Jews were entrusted with the very words of God. How could you remotely love your Bible and not love the people who preserved it? How did that happen? You all read the book of Romans. I mean, I I know it seems a little accusatory. God, forgive me. But I'm, I'm trying to think this through. I didn't know the New Testament. And I read it like you it was just right there it was just a no-brainer the Jewish people have had many special privileges but the most important to me is that they were trusted with the very words of God the Old Testament scriptures were given to the Jewish people to write and preserve now the New Testament this was written in about 48 It's one of the first books so the New Testament's not written yet that's okay I don't need the New Testament what no no, no let me let me tell you what I mean what would we do without the Old Testament Well, for one, we would not know how it all began without the creation story in Genesis. Uh, Two, we would not know the will of God for our lives without, and void of the knowledge of sin without the Torah. Still in force, by the way. We would be lacking wisdom without the book of Proverbs. And most importantly, we would not be able to recognize who the Messiah was without the 300 Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. So we kind of have all we need, in a way. In a way. I'm not saying the New Testament isn't canonized. I'm not saying it's not important. It's very important. However, I'm just saying they preserved this Old Testament verse. Thousands and thousands over the centuries lost their life to preserve. When During the Holocaust, you know what the rabbi did first? Before he took his family, he took the Torah, the Word of God. We have a Holocaust-surviving Torah certified because the grass may wither and the flowers may fade, but the Word of the Lord is forever. And you should want to thank the people who preserved it. Now, some of you are new here today, and you're like, okay, I get it. You're a rabbi. You're a Hirschberg. You don't get it. I have no preference towards my people. If I had preference towards my people, you think I'd be working in Macon? (laughs) You don't think I'd be in New York City or L.A. or maybe Miami? Guys, you don't know me by now? That I don't care if a black person or a white person or an Asian or Hispanic... I don't care who gets saved. A soul's a soul to me. I don't see anything more attached to a soul. So that's just a newsflash. I'm giving you straight up Bible 101. I'm not giving you Greg Hirschberg's agenda. I don't have an agenda. My agenda is for you to walk closely with the Lord and to tell people about Him. That's the agenda if you want to know the agenda. Now, three, if that's not good enough, if monotheism, oh, big deal. I would have just been cutting my kids and throwing them to the fire. No big deal. And the Bible I just wouldn't even know God's plan of salvation no big deal okay how about Yeshua how about number three the Jewish people gave us Yeshua it says John 4 22, out of Yeshua's mouth to the woman at the well this is out of his mouth this isn't even an epistle of Paul's he says you people don't know what you're worshiping try that one today you people I'm telling you guys I was raised by one of the toughest guys in the world my kids are tough I just can't believe what a cupcake society we live in it's unbelievable I mean I'm scared that if we have to fight a war we still have great warriors but man everything is subpar you know everything is subpar you need somebody to work in a restaurant just get a body you need somebody in medicine just everything is subpar today it's like even even pilots now they're grabbing pilots that 20 years ago they would have never been okay they're gripping them from a flight school. It's, just, it's crazy. Because we just need a body. Scary stuff, man. Really scary stuff. You people don't know what you're worshiping. Who's you people? The Samaritans. And who are they? Goyim. He says, we worship. What? Who's the we? The Jews. You mean Yeshua is the we? Yes. Isn't that amazing? How you can love. That's a deception. You can love Jesus and be anti-Semitic at the same time. We worship what we do know because salvation comes from the Jews. What do you do with that one? Everybody loves the woman at the well story. How come come you, you didn't highlight that part? That's crazy, man. Crazy. Yeshua was condemning the Samaritan mode of worship. This is in marked contrast to those religious teachers today who say that all religions are good and they all lead to heaven at last. Many different ways. i got news here, okay? Every time I go to Israel, I've been there 20 times, I want to hang a sign outside the tomb that says vacancy. You can't do that at Krishna's tomb. You can't do that at Buddha's tomb. You can't do that at Muhammad's tomb. You can't even do that at Mufasa's tomb. He's not the Lion King. Not all roads lead to God. Yeshua informs this woman... The worship of her people was not authorized by God nor approved by Him. Rabbi, you can't say that to somebody. See, that's your problem. You're so afraid to say stuff. People respect when you're truthful. It had been invented by man and carried on without the sanction of the Word of God. If you have a holiday that's man-made, it's carried on without the sanction of the Word of God. Stop being afraid of your wife and afraid of your church and afraid of everybody except for being afraid of God. We worship what we do know. This was not so with the worship of the Jews. God had set apart the Jewish people as His chosen people. He had given them complete instructions on the way to worship. In saying that salvation is of the Jews, Yeshua was teaching that the Jewish people were appointed To be by God, to be his messengers. I've sent you, 49.6 of Isaiah, to be a light to the nations. I still believe I'm called to be a light to the nations, personally. And it was to them that the scriptures had been given also. Also, it was through the Jewish nation that Messiah was given. Period. End of story. And if you're not sure of it, let me give you a few verses. Ephesians 2.11-13. Not much. Ephesians is all about the body of Messiah. Colossians is all about the head. There's a different reason for the letter was written. Ephesians is all about unity. Unity between Jew and Gentile. Unity between husband and wife. Unity, unity, unity. And he's the head, and we're the body. And Paul is writing a letter to the body. And he says, Therefore, remember your former state, you Gentiles. What's going on? You Gentiles? You people of the nations. You non biological Jews. It's, you're, no, you're nothing less. There's no Jew or Gentile. You're not less. This is for teaching purposes and for identification purposes. He says, you Gentiles birth called the uncircumcised, by those who merely because of an operation in their flesh. I'm not Jewish because my name is Hirschberg, and I'm not Jewish because I had my Brit milah on the eighth day. I'm Jewish because I'm a praiser of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <laughs> he says, at that time, you had no Messiah. You were estranged from the national life of Israel. Hear that. You are estranged from the national life of Israel. you got to see what this says. You can't run through this quick, guys. You'll miss the whole message. It says you are foreigners to the covenants. Remember when I told you the covenants, how important the covenants are? They're all over the New Testament. So how you miss it, I don't know. Embodying God's promise. You are in this world without hope and without God. Here comes the big but. But now, you who were once far off have been brought near through the shedding of Messiah's blood. Now, here's my question You're brought to the national life of Israel. Now, forgive me, I've been to Puerto Rico many times. I have some Puerto Ricans in this audience. Okay, you are part of the Commonwealth of America, sir. Which means you can't just do your little Puerto Rican thing and just take from America. you got to give to America, too, if you want to be part of the Commonwealth. So you Gentiles, if you want to be part of the Commonwealth of Israel and brag about your grafting, then then give, man. Just don't take the promises. And by giving, I mean if you're part of the national life, then this, this country has feasts, according to the Bible now be careful hold on some of you are way too froggy that's that's what I tell people first of all you don't tell it right you tell it accusatory you don't underwrite it with love it's a mean spirit it's that Hebrew root spirit like let's attack the church we don't evangelize anymore our job is to attack the church guys I don't attack I got some of my best friends are pest in the church and they dance circles around you when it comes to doing things for god so relax don't pat yourself on the back because you don't eat pork and you celebrate rosh hashanah it's nothing to write home about however if you're grafted in what are you grafted into clearly the jews weren't grafted out this is straight up christianity 101 this is kindergarten christianity what i'm presenting to you kindergarten this is not advanced by no means Therefore, based on Ephesians, the nations or the people of the nations do not replace Israel. So, replacement theology is clearly a demonic doctrine. They don't improve Israel. You don't improve Israel. Are you the new, improved believer? Watch us sin. We do it better. <laughs> you don't change Israel. Rather, upon faith in Jesus, the people of the nations enlarge Israel. Therein lies the term grafted in. In other words, when a Gentile comes to faith, they don't replace the remnant, they join the remnant. Now, I should probably stop here. Um, I want to tell you one thing that I'm going to get much more involved in, deeper into Romans 11, because it's a chapter that like, just is hopped over. It's like you finish Romans 10 and you just go, you know, therefore, present yourself a living sacrifice. Or you finish Romans 8. That's better. There's no condemnation for those in Messiah Yeshua. Therefore, present you. What happened to 9, 10, 11? Nobody teaches on it. 9, Israel's past. Romans 10, Israel's present. Romans 11, Israel's future. You just hop over. No condemnation. Hallelujah. What do I do? Present yourself a living sacrifice. What happened to all that stuff? How do you just rip those things off? So, You can see by this little presentation I made, this nothing non-impressive presentation, by all regard, how the Jewish people were chosen by God to be his messengers about the one true God and about Messiah, the Savior of the world. But what about the modern-day blessing that Israel has put forth? Let me just go over a couple and then we'll get out of here, okay? The Nobel Prize is an annual international award bestowed by the Scandinavian committees, In recognition of the cultural and scientific advances and this began in 1895 up to the present time Israel Jewish people are less than two tenths of 1% of the world's population I don't know if you can appreciate that that means that 99.8% of the world's population is non-Jewish that's crazy Jews aren't 10%, 5%, not even a percent, not even a half a percent. There's 8 billion people in the world, literally. 8 billion people. There's maybe 14 million Jews, tops. And that's a lot of people that claim Judaism. You know, I saw my grandma eat matzah. That doesn't make you a Jew. (laughs) Now, with that being said, let me go over the Nobel Prize winners over the years. In chemistry, Israel has had 31 winners. That's 20% of the world's total. Less than two-tenths of 1%. In economics, they go, the Jews run the, the economy. Guy, if the Jew ran the economy, we wouldn't be in trillion dollars of debt. A bunch of goys ran the economy, okay? I bought two little houses. I waited till I had the money. I really believe that the borrower's is a, a slave to the lender. Now, if the Jews ran the economy, it wouldn't be in this condition. 28 prize winners, that's 42% of the world's total. Literature, 13 prize winners, that's 13% of the world's total. Peace, 9 prize winners, that's 10% of the world's total. Physics, 47 prize winners, that's 26% of the world's total. And Physiology and Medicine, 53 prize winners, that's 28% of the world's total. The Jewish people have been sickly blessed by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. With crazy knowledge. Iran's supreme leader, you're familiar that Iran is not run by the president, it's run by the religious leader. His name is Grand Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, and he urged the Muslim people recently to boycott anything and everything that originates with the Jewish people. Okay. In response to this, a man by the name of Maya Trankman, a pharmacist, Jewish guy, out of the kindness of his heart, Maxi, He's offered to assist the Muslims in their boycott. Let me read to you the following. A Muslim who has heart disease must not use digitalis. A discovery by a Jew, Dr. Ludwig Traub. Should he suffer with a toothache, I had one this week. He must not use Novocaine. A discovery of a Jew, Alfred Einhorn. If a Muslim has diabetes, he must not use insulin. How's that going to work? The result of Dr. Oscar Minkowski, a Jew. A Muslim who has syphilis must be not cured by the salversin discovered by a Jew, Dr. Paul Ehrlich. He should not even try to find out whether he has syphilis because the Wasserman test was the discovery of a Jew bacteriologist, August Wasserman. Muslims with convulsions must put up with them because it was a Jew, pharmacologist Oscar Liebrich, who proposed the use of chloral hydrate to treat them. Should a Muslim child get diphtheria, he must refrain from the Schick reaction, which was invented by a Jew, Dr. Bella Schick. They should continue to die or remain crippled by infantile paralysis because the discoverer of the anti-polio vaccine was a Jew, Dr. Jonas Salk. Muslims must refuse the use of streptomycin and continue to die of tuberculosis because a Jew, Zalman Waxman, invented the wonder drug against this killing disease. A Muslim with cardiac arrhythmia must not use a defibrillator discovered by a Jew, Dr. Albert Hyman. Muslim doctors must discard all discoveries and improvements by dermatologist Dr. Judah Zen Benedict, or by the pulmonary specialist Dr. Joel Frankel, and the many other world renowned Jewish scientists and medical experts such as Andrew Shally in endocrinology, Baruch Bloomberg in epidemiology, Bernard Katz in neuromuscular transmission, or Ellie Menchenoff in infectious diseases. So go ahead and boycott anything and everything Jewish, but you're going to be pretty sick. (laughs) Now allow Greg Hirschberg to add something to his letter. If you're a Muslim boycotting everything Jewish, then you must not use your mobile phone or your computer to notify other Muslims about the boycott because the mobile phone was invented by Motorola's Israel research team and the computer was first designed by a Jew, Evelyn Berezin, in 1957. In fact, you can't even write about it to other Muslims because the ballpoint pen was invented by a Jew, Laszlo Biro. And last but not least, all Muslims should never wear blue jeans because blue jeans was first manufactured by a Jew named Levi Strauss. (laughs) So I'll end with a question for you. I have a question, and I think that all believers should ask this question, and we'll go over it next week. Are there any inherent risks with being ambivalent towards Israel and the Jewish people? In other words, Rabbi, what if I remain neutral and just stay on the sidelines when it comes to Israel and the Jewish people? I'm not against them, but at the same time, I'm not necessarily for them. Well, guys, there's tremendous risk. And this is the deception that's coming on the world of believers. The Abrahamic covenant has totally influenced the course of human history. It was the watershed moment when God announced His intention to save the world. However, the blessed, cursed part of the covenant has been much overlooked and must be dealt with, especially in these last days of ours. Do you remember the warnings Yeshua gave regarding the end days in Matthew 24:25? He spoke of the wise and foolish servants. He spoke of the wise and foolish virgins. And He spoke of the wise and foolish nations. It is important to note that there are three classes of people in Matthew 25 that he refers to. There are sheep, there are goats, and then there's Yeshua's brethren. Hear me, the first two classes over whom Messiah sits in judgment are Gentiles living during the tribulation. Some will go to the right as sheep, some will go to the left as goats. The third class is Yeshua's faithful brethren who refuse to deny his name during the tribulation. When Yeshua teaches, what you did for the least of my brethren, you did unto me. He is speaking specifically of how you, as a Christian, deal with the Jews. Look the word up. It's not the word for brethren like we have here. Alde it's the word aldeifas, and it means people from the same biology. In other words, he's warning everybody who are going to say to him, when did we see you naked? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you imprisoned? Remember the Holocaust? They were naked. They were thirsty. They were hungry. And they were imprisoned. So the warning from Jesus' mouth is, what you don't do for the least of those Jewish people, you don't do to me. That is a slap of truth that Satan has masked the body of Messiah with. They do not hear this. You hear this here. Get the word out. You can actually love Jesus with all your heart and hold on to your Bible and hold it on and yet be totally ambivalent towards the Jewish people. And it's not going to be a good message you're going to hear at the end of it. Let's stand up together. The scriptures already went out. I didn't want to really send them out, but obviously God did. So you have them. There's only 10 screens. I'm sure at some point in between your busy schedule this week, with everything you've got going on, you might be able to just carve out maybe an hour. You know what I mean? Just an hour where you read the Scriptures and you, you maybe study them a little bit, so you come in here already knowing. You might be able to tell me stuff next week. But the message next week is the quintessential message from Romans 11 that refutes every replacement theological doctrine there is out there. May the Lord bless you and keep you, may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you, and may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Prince of All Peace, Yeshua. Shalom. I love you. Shabbat shalom. Talk radio's redheaded stepchild. Solace radio. We go where no talk radio has gone before.